Job chapter 42. And uh, uh, I've been uh, read this book the last couple of days. And, and uh, this morning the Lord brought some thoughts to my heart out of this last chapter here. And I pray that it will be a help to you as it was to me. A convicting thought tonight, but a thought that I need to be reminded of. And one that I pray will help us all tonight. Job chapter uh, 42. And uh, verse number 7, Job chapter 42 and verse number 7. The Bible says, And it was so that after the Lord has spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For, they, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, uh, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them, the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Father, I ask you to bless the reading of thy word. Help us tonight. Lord, I need you. And I know, God, that, uh, Lord, you laid a message on my heart tonight. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom and give us leadership and direction. And, Lord, help us all, myself included, to have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church tonight. Lord, help us to uh, think of ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, Lord, have the same prayer. Lord, that you would search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us tonight. And Lord, may you get glory and honor for all that will be said and done. Thank you for the singing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your people tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. You know, when you think about... Uh, the book of Job tonight, as I mentioned, I, I was reading this book the last couple of days, and, and just as an overview of this book tonight, uh, it just appeared to me, that, or just more or less just uh, was clear to me that as you read this book, it's really just one big long conversation uh, between Job and his friends, apart from chapter 1 and, and chapter uh, 38 and 39 where God speaks to Job and then, of course, in chapter 42. But the majority of this book deals with Job and his friends. And, and I think that if you go back and you look at chapter 1 and chapter number 2, uh, it reminds us uh, how that Job faced calamity. And Job was in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He was in the hands of Satan as he faced a lot of calamity. We know that as we are familiar with the early chapters of this book and it tells us how that Job uh, uh, was compassed with blessings and, and God had blessed the early days of Job's life in the first five verses of chapter one and then Job was crippled with bankruptcy as one report after another came uh, of how that Job had lost all of his camels and all of his asses and everything uh, uh, materialistically that God had blessed him with uh, and then 
finally Job uh, uh, was crushed uh, uh, with brevity as he uh, heard of the devastating loss of his children. I mean, can you imagine uh, digging that many graves uh, in just one day as Job didn't just lose one, he didn't just lose two, but he lost every one of them and the crushing blow of brevity in his life. And then uh, Job was covered with bulls uh, uh, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet as his health began to deteriorate. And then Job is cursed with bitterness as his own wife uh, uh, looks at him and says, Job, uh, curse God and die. Now, I don't know if she was uh, uh, bitter or if she was broken. I've heard it preached both ways. Uh, uh, but I do know this, that what she said to Job uh, is almost the very same thing that the devil had said to God. Uh, the devil said to God, if you touch his flesh, uh, he'll curse you to your face. Uh, and listen, she said, curse God and die. And so no doubt, uh, it was the devil's voice that was speaking uh, uh, through that woman that was broken and perhaps even bitter. Uh, but that just tells us that the devil never gives up. Amen? I mean, the devil was doing everything he could. As Job was facing these awful calamities, uh, he was in the hands of Satan. Well, then when you get to chapter 3, all the way to chapter 37, we see how that Job faced criticism as his three friends come. Uh, the Bible calls them miserable comforters. Amen? And they sat with Job for seven days in silence, uh, and then one by one, uh, uh, they begin to speak. Uh, Eliphaz uh, uh, spoke first, and then Bildad, uh, and then Zophar began to speak, uh, and all of them uh, had a different criticism in the life of Job. Uh, Eliphaz was one uh, uh, that uh, uh, majored on spirituality and visions and dreams, uh, and he had the attitude uh, uh, that if you didn't have the experience that he did, uh, uh, then somehow you had missed out uh, in your spiritual life. I think I've met a few people like that in my life uh, uh, that thought that their experience uh, uh, trumped the scriptures. Uh, but let me tell you something about experiences tonight. Uh, they're all different in all of our lives. Amen. And so Eliphaz criticized Job and suggested that he was a sinner. Bildad was more callous and he was more, uh, uh, he was more, uh, 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 should I say, less compassionate even than Eliphaz. As he looked at Job and he thought Job to be that of a hypocrite uh, and he thought not only uh, did he suppose but he suggested uh, uh, that Job was a sinner and that what had happened in the life of Job uh, uh, was because uh, of his own sin. I think I've met some people like that uh, that they were quick to judge others and, and quick to point out the faults of others uh, and they always had a me. I mean it doesn't matter what you say uh, they've got to tag something on the end of it can I get an amen right there you know the Bible said a fool uttereth all of his mouth may have misquoted that just a little bit but it's, it, it's, it's paraphrased alright you can read about it you can always tell a fool because they don't know how to be quiet Zophar, the man that already had his mind made up, he knew everything. When you look at his, uh, his scriptures and the things that he says in the life of Job, uh, he didn't just suggest or suppose that Job was in sin, but he actually said it. Uh, you can go back to chapter 11 and verse 5 and 6, uh, and he talks about Job, and he basically says, Job, uh, if you got what you deserved, uh, uh, you would be more than just dead, but you would be damned, uh, and you would be in hell. I mean, these are not very good friends. 
when you think about it. Uh, but they're sitting around uh, and they've all got a criticism uh, in the life of Job. Uh, now some uh, believe that uh, Elihu was one uh, uh, that uh, you know would have come and that he was a daysman and that uh, he possibly had uh, uh, you know uh, had a good word uh, because God in this chapter here does not mention him to come and repent. Uh, but when you read about him, uh, uh, listen, he spoke more than any of them uh, and he had words. Uh, uh, listen, that if in, cha- in two chapters, if you read, uh, you can sense the pride that bulls out in his life. Uh, uh, he himself said that he was uh, a prayer, uh, an answer to Job's prayer and declared himself to be the daysman uh, and to be the one that would come between Job and his friends. Now, some would believe that, uh, but I do not believe that tonight personally uh, for God did not judge him, but God also did not acknowledge him. Amen? He was a young man uh, that had a whole lot to say. You have to beware when you're young uh, that you uh, to have a whole lot to say. Amen? Uh, you've got to learn to uh, listen, just be quiet and keep your ears open and your mouth shut and just listen more than you talk. Can I get an amen right there? I mean, two chapters reveals Elihu's pride and it reveals his anger as he's angry toward Job and and he himself declares himself as I said to be the answer to Job's prayer. You say brother Gravely where are you going? I, I just hang with me for just a minute. I'm just laying a little groundwork. I mean there's 42 chapters in this book here and we see how that Job faced his calamity in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We see how that Job faced his criticism in chapter 3 to chapter 37 and then when we get to chapter 38 finally God speaks he's been in the hands of Satan in chapter 1 and 2 he's been in the hands of man from chapter 3 to chapter 37 but when you get to chapter 38 thank God he is in the hands of God amen and we're going to see how that Job faced his conviction as God began to deal with Job and when we get to chapter 42 in the early verses verse number 1 down to verse number 5 you know what Job does he agrees with God against himself and he repents over his sin. You know, that's what a spiritual man will do. He'll see himself for who he really is. A spiritual lady will see themselves for who they really are. And when God calls them out, they're quick to repent. Amen. And so Job does that. When we get to verse number seven, God has a problem not with Job but with his friends. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on the spiritual giants in Job's life. The spiritual giants in Job's life. You see tonight, when you think about the big question in the book of Job, is who is right? Well, I can tell you tonight, his wife was not right. Curse God and die. Job knew that uh, that would be speaking as a foolish man or a foolish woman. And then we know that his friends were certainly wrong, that they were not right because of their, uh, their, you can read their accusations and you can read their, uh, listen, their estimate and investigation of Job's Job's life. And they didn't come to sympathize with Job. They came to sermonize him. They came to give him a a sermon. They had already discussed it amongst themselves. They had come to a conclusion that was right. His friends were not right. Uh, We know that even Job himself uh, 
concerning himself that he had the wrong view, the wrong estimate of what real suffering in life was really all about. You say, well now preacher, I don't think everybody in this book was wrong. Oh yes, I believe that with all of my heart. And the reason that we can prove that they were wrong was because of two things. Number one, they did not understand why all these trials begin. And number two, they didn't know how they were going to end. They didn't know why all this began in Job's life because they wasn't there when God and Satan was speaking. And they wasn't there, into, or they were there, but they could not see at the time the end of Job's life. Do you realize tonight that we get ourselves in trouble when we look into people's life and we draw conclusions and we make estimates and sometimes some even be guilty of investigating. I'm telling you some people in Baptist churches uh, they ought to work for the CIA or the FBI uh, because they're good investigators. Amen. And they'll do just what these three friends will do. They'll spiritualize it. Uh, they'll, uh, you know, they'll wrap it up and say things like, well I need to know these things uh, uh, so I know how to pray for them. I don't find that anywhere in the scripture uh, where God tells us uh, that we have to know a whole lot of details uh, uh, to know how to pray for them. Amen. In fact, I do find in the book of Romans uh, that we really don't know how to pray for ourselves. Amen. It takes the spirit of God uh, to take our little flimsy feeble prayers uh, and to work them out uh, and to listen because you and I don't even know how to pray for ourselves a lot of times, uh, let alone somebody else. Uh, But the like these men. Sometimes people try to spiritualize it and say well I just need to know some things. No, it's just the fact that they're nosy and they want to know some things some good juicy gossip and they want to dress it up. Now don't die on me tonight. I believe I'm preaching what God told me to preach and if we're going to have revival in our churches, you know you got to preach on gossip. Amen. Because it exists in every Baptist church but I'm telling you tonight spiritual people know how to keep their mouth shut. Amen. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 11 says and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. What that means is just because something's true doesn't mean it needs to be told. And just because you know something, don't shell out all your information. Don't let everybody know everything that you know because it just reveals your ignorance. Don't be the first one to have to run and tell what you know. Learn to conceal the thing. He that is of a faithful spirit. The Bible said he concealeth the matter. You've got to learn and I've got to learn how to just study to be quiet sometimes. Now some people will never learn that in life. They're always going to have a comment. And you have to pray for people like me when I run into people like that. Amen. Boy, it's quiet in here tonight, isn't it? I believe right now I could hear Nat burp in this building. Just hold on. It'll get worse, I promise you. I think in churches like ours, it's not the worldliness. And although that's always trying to come through the door, it's not the worldliness that we just need to keep our eye on. But what we got to keep our eye on is that we stay out of each other's hip pockets. Can I get an amen right there? That we don't know everything that goes on in everybody's life. And that we don't tell everything 
that goes on in everybody's life. I'm probably going to plow real deep tonight. I don't even know why I'm plowing this deep, but I feel like it's going to get a little bit deeper. Amen. I'm just telling you tonight, every church needs a good sermon like this about once every quarter, don't you? Uh, to flush out some old long-tongued Jezebel, uh, just to flush out somebody that may have a nose, a Pinocchio nose, uh, and always stick, and maybe they're lying, but they're always wanting to stick it in somebody's business. Uh, I'm telling you, friend, tonight, uh, we ought to pray one for another. We ought to love one another, but we ought to be careful in our business with each other uh, that we don't know too much about each other we ought to be careful we don't spread uh, things uh, and that we don't be the first one to sound the horn <laughs> I told something one day and got in the car with my wife it's been, it's been months ago so don't get nervous I told something one day and I got in the car and Nolita said why did you tell that I said because I wanted everybody to know it she said, what do you mean? I said, they'll go tell everybody for me. <laughs> Amen. I'm just telling you the truth. It's kind of like, you know, the Democrats, I leaked something out. I just knew the right person. I, I knew that they, you know, they wouldn't, uh, you know, they got diarrhea of the mouth and, and I know they're going to go out and they're going to tell everything. And so I thought, well, just tell them and I might as well get behind the pulpit and announce it. Now, there's seven people nervous right now and you ought to be nervous, amen, if you think you're guilty. I mean, you ought to be squirming like you got ants all in your pants right now, amen. You're probably sitting there thinking, was it, was it this that I told her? Was is it that that I told uh, oh the principle is uh, if you don't tell anything you don't have anything to be nervous about amen and I'm telling you friend tonight uh, uh, listen Job had some friends uh, that was quick to criticize uh, quick to assume uh, quick to come to a spiritual conclusion but the truth of the matter is they didn't have the full story they thought they knew what was going on but they didn't know why this happened in the beginning and they couldn't see what was going to happen in the end and so it's a good principle for me to live by. I don't know everything that's going on. So the best thing for me to do is to just be quiet. Amen. Spiritual giants of Job's life. I see the sin in verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord has spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee. I think he held him responsible because he was probably the ringleader and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the things that is right as my servant Job. What I see here is the character of his sin as God's wrath is kindled against him and his two friends because he hath not spoken of me the things that is right. You see, he tried to speak spiritual, but God saw right through that mess. Uh, and God said, you, it's your speech, it's your, it's your tongue, it's what you've said. Uh, God said, that's got me upset. You've sinned with your mouth. Uh, you've sinned with your tongue. Oh, you've got everything right on the outside here. He's got a spiritual a tongue. He can even say some things that sound good. But the problem is, uh, God said, you've not said what was right. Can I tell you as a pastor, I've seen it down through the years. Don't be fooled by people who have the gift of gab. Don't be fooled by people that can just get up and thank God for this. 
But don't be fooled because somebody gives a good testimony that God's always in that. And what I mean by that, I don't want to admit you to misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when somebody's running people down in the church or somebody is, is stirring up trouble, as far as I know, there's not any. I pray that this is just prevented maintenance, but if it's not, then it ought to be preached on tonight as well. But I'm saying uh, just because somebody, if somebody's got, listen, if they sit around the table and they talk about the pastor or they talk about the Sunday school teacher or they talk about uh, some member in the church, uh, but then they come in and they get up and give a good golly washer of a testimony, and 10 people go to shouting. Don't you always think God's pleased with that? Number one, the people shouting is shouting at truth. Number two, they're innocent in what they're doing. And number three, God knows everything. You say, preacher, why would you preach that? Because it may not be here tonight, but it could be here Sunday. Well, be careful. Don't be fooled. The sin. God said, Joel, you sound real spiritual for several chapters, but God said, you didn't say what was right. The curse. God's wrath is kindled against his tongue. The contrast, what he spoke was in the opposite of what God said. I see the sin here. Oh, wouldn't you agree with me tonight that gossip is a sin? You know, when somebody falls into sin, we shouldn't talk about it. When somebody has a past, you shouldn't tell their past. Everybody has a past, don't they? I heard something a few, a few weeks ago. And it wasn't necessarily that, well, I reckon it was sin. Somebody told somebody something about somebody's past. And I said to myself, now why... Did they do that, Brother Laddie? That person got right with God. That person stood before the church and made things. I'm going to tell you something. When you sin openly and you come before a congregation, that's humiliating. Is that right tonight, church? And I'm going to tell you something. It's happened here a few times down through the years. And I'll tell you, you know, I, my heart breaks for the person or the people that have to do that. I know that has to be done. Isn't that right? And I'll tell you, I, I, I feel for those people because that could be me. And it takes a lot of character. In spite of the flaw in their character, it takes a lot of character. Do you know how many people have fallen into sin even in this good church? And they wouldn't come stand and do the right thing. They said, adios, amigos, and went somewhere else. So for every person, no matter what they've done, to stand before 200 people and confess their sin to God and before a congregation, I'd say that takes some character. And I'd say when the church forgives them, it ought to be the same way it is with God. It ought to never be brought up again. It ought to never be told to anybody new that joins the church. Can I get an amen right there? You say, well, I, I just think it's something they ought. It's not your place to tell something. If anybody ought to tell it, it would be the pastor. And the only way the pastor would do it is if it come all the way down and then it would be done confidentially. 
Is that right tonight? I heard that and I said, no, not at Bible Baptist. You know, if you've told something about somebody's past, you ought to get in this altar tonight because you're going to reap that one of these days. Somebody's going to run out and tell something about your past. Amen tonight. The sin, spiritual giants of Job's life. The sacrifice, verse number 8. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job. I want you to see in this verse the price of this sacrifice was not cheap. And all tonight for me to say something about somebody's life is going to cost me dearly. There's a price when we criticize people without warrant. There's a price when we conclude things in people's life. I'm not going to stand here tonight and not tell you that I have not fought things, that I've not seen things. I'll tell you, I've preached a funeral of people that I knew God judged them. But I was afraid to say anything about it. Danny, I was afraid God might do that to me. I remember one time a situation where someone passed away and they'd been on my heels for a long time and I don't know the outcome I fear to even say for what if I'm wrong it brought fear to me what if I'm wrong brother laddie what if, what if that had nothing to do with my situation but it could have but what if it didn't and what if God brought it to me what if he didn't take my life like he took that part? But what if he took one of my children? That's what my thought was. Or what if he took one of my grandchildren? I'm saying tonight the sacrifice for running our mouth in this text, great price, high price. The promptness of it. Look at verse number 8. God said again, therefore take unto you, you ought to circle this word, now. God said, I want you to get right, right now about this. You, you, you've criticized this man. You, you've come to this conclusion. The three of you have sat around and, and you've talked about it in quote unquote a, a spiritual sense. Now, I don't know anything. Don't walk out of here. I done told you what I knew months, a few weeks ago. And I did. I'll be as transparent as you did. And I prayed about that situation that it would never come up again in somebody's conversation for the sake of that person who has done the right thing and got right with God. But I don't anything tonight but I'm here to tell you as sure as this morning the Holy Ghost said had you read that book for this reason son and I want you to preach this sermon tonight I'm telling you tonight them men sit around and probably before they ever got in Job's presence uh, and they already knew what they were going to say they would already drew their conclusion the criticism sounded spiritual and it sounded good but it uh, angered God I said something one time, not one time now, listen, not that holy. But I said something one time years ago about somebody. As soon as it rolled off my tongue, the Holy Ghost said, you will pay for that one. Five years went by, I've told you before, I'm sure. And about two o'clock in the morning, I woke up with the worst kidney stone I ever had. And I knew that was God was as soon as I woke up out of a dead sleep, I stood straight up out of that bed on my feet, and as soon as my feet hit the floor, the Holy Ghost said, remember what I told you? Well, I'll tell you, when God whips you for running your mouth, you don't ever forget that, do you? The promptness. 
Notice the place. Look at, at what God did in this sacrifice. He said, I want you to offer up. He said, take you seven bullocks and seven rams, and I want you to go to my servant, Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. It must have blowed them guys' mind that Job was more spiritual than any of them. When God said this, he said, For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Oh, tonight, the Bible said the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. No man can tame it tonight. I tell you as a preacher tonight, I will confess I have said things that I've had to go home and say, Dear God, I'm sorry that slipped. I'm sorry I said that. Before every sermon, I've not said I'm batting a thousand on this, but nine or ten times I'll say, Lord, as a psalmist said, set a watch before my lips because I know these old lips of clay, this old fleshly tabernacle that I live here, it's so easy to say something that, that perhaps would grieve the Holy Spirit, something that I should not say. I'll tell you, the humiliation of these men, after all their criticism, after all they said, God said, now I want you to go to Job and I want that man to pray for you. You know, when you talk about people and word gets back to them, at least I'll give these guys this. They did probably talk behind his back, but they had enough to go say it to his face. Don't them people make you nervous? Not nervous. They probably make you mad, I reckon. That they'll run you down. Then when they see you, they'll just about rip your arm off saying, what a blessing you are to them. Y'all, y'all ever met somebody like that? Y'all can smile a little bit. It's going to get worse. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just telling you where we live at today. Brother, we're going to have revival. It ain't all about just separation and standards. And I believe, listen, stack them up to the ceiling. You ain't going to make me nervous. I've believed it all my Christian life. I'm telling you, I believe in living right. I believe in, I believe in, listen, I believe in living right, keeping it tight and spitting white. Somebody say amen. I believe in every bit of it, amen. I believe in, I believe in, I mean, tighten her down. I'm not going to get upset with somebody having some standards and separation. I believe that wholeheartedly come out from this world and be a separate, saith the Lord. Hey, but that includes this little old thing on the inside right here. That includes this tongue. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for somebody that can wear a dress that would drag the ground and somebody that could quote Genesis or Revelation but they couldn't keep their tongue intact I'm not listening minimizing standards when I make that statement I'm telling you friend holiness it starts on the inside and it will work itself on the outside you will live right you will live clean on the outside I'm telling you listen you'll keep your speech right it's all of it ain't it tonight the supplication I see the willingness, the submission of these men. They, they do exactly what the Lord said in verse 9. They, they went and did according as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord also accepted Job. These men went to Job because of the word of God that spoke to them. The will of God. And I believe because of the wrath of God. I believe they had enough about them to say, you know what, if I don't get right with, with Job and get right with God, God's going to do something to us. I wish people could get a hold of that today. I'm telling you tonight, homes have been tore up because of the tongue. Churches have been destroyed because of the tongue. And preachers are as bad as anybody. 
Brother, I'm telling you, you go to a preacher's meeting nowadays. Uh, listen, it's better to, you know, to go to the meeting and uh, get your chicken to go nowadays. That's right. I don't sit around the table and talk about other preachers and, and, and what's going on in their life. And, and somebody, I tell you, I run from the person, did you hear about so-and-so? I, listen, I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, we have to hear some things. I understand that. But I'm beware of the person that's always got the latest news on, on somebody that's fallen and somebody's messed up. Somebody, do you hear about so-and-so? Oh, I may have heard about it. You may have heard about it. I just don't want to be the one that everybody says is telling it. Amen? I don't want to be the one going around and talking about it. I mean, pray for that person. It could be me. It could be you tomorrow. I tell you, we got to be careful. Hey, even in this youth group, be careful. Don't talk about nobody in youth group. You see somebody straying, don't talk about them. Don't isolate them. Pray for them. You can be a friend to them. I'll be a friend with them, but don't you let them slide out the door. It takes compassion, don't it? Compassion is not compromise. I remind you, God is love. And nobody is more separated than the Holy Ghost tonight. We have to be careful. I have to be careful. You say, boy, preacher, you must have heard something big. I hadn't heard anything. But I tell you tonight... I really believe this church. I really believe sometimes the reason services get locked down. I think sometimes it's a little undercurrent can, can get in there. And you know what the Word of God will do? It will flush that undercurrent out, won't it? I mean, tonight, if I've said something about anybody in this building, I mean, tonight, I, I mean, I've examined before I come, but if the Holy Ghost... Brought one thing to my mind right now. I stand before you and repent of it. Because I tell you, we need revival. You need revival. His church needs revival. You know why God blesses His church? So I'm telling you, there's people in here that do right and there's people in here that do wrong and then there's all of us in here and we all do wrong. You know that? I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, but I'm telling you, it's a wonder God even show up in his service uh, and even meet with any of us. You know that? If it got down to where we're at, that's what the psalmist said. If one should mark iniquity, who could stand? If God rolled the tally sheet out tonight and started right here on a platform and worked his way to the back, uh, well, none of us would be tonight accountable would be fit. God wouldn't meet with none of us. I'm telling you tonight he's merciful and God is kind and God is gracious and I'm so thankful that God doesn't work because of me. He works in spite of me tonight. I'm not listening. I'm not saying sin is okay but I'm telling you tonight at our best we're nothing tonight. I tell you God help us to take that big old micro, that big old uh, microscope, and take it off a person and put it on herself. You know the two men in the Old Testament that the Bible never said anything about their faults, their failures, or their sin was Joseph and Daniel. We know they weren't perfect. 
But God never says anything about them failing anywhere in scriptures. They were spiritual men, wasn't they? They were men of God. They were men like Christ. But go home, I challenge you tonight to read Daniel chapter 9 and 10. And the reason Daniel saw an incarnate Christ coming across that river whose body was like burrow, the reason he, he had a one-on-one encounter with Jesus Christ in the Old Testament was because he fell on his knees and he prayed for his nation. And in praying for his nation, he did not say they have sinned, but that spiritual giant of God said we have sinned. The reason Job, God said he was a man that feared God and eschewed evil was because Job, when confronted with his own sin, he recognized it and he repented over it. Amen. Spiritual people are so busy seeing themselves. And here's the test tonight. And I'll close verse 10. They come to Job and they say, Job, I don't know how this conversation went, but they come to him and say, Job, God's upset with us. Can you imagine this? All these chapters, all these chapters of talking about him and talking to him and analyzing him and assuming all this. And if Job, I'm going to tell you something, if Job would have been guilty as charged, God would have still been upset with them because of the spirit that they spoke to him. You see, you can be right. I can be right and still be wrong in my spirit. God help me tonight. I don't want to be wrong in my spirit. I don't ever want to preach to you and, and not ever see who I am tonight. But I can't imagine these men coming to Job and saying, Job, uh, I probably was a lump in their throat. Uh, probably a tear in their eye. Job were wrong. I know we've had a lot of spiritual counsel to give you, but the truth of the matter is God's upset with us. And Job, the only way we're going to get right with God is we're going to have to offer these sacrifices. And God said he wouldn't accept them from nobody but you. And here's where revival set in. Job, will you pray for us? We've criticized you, but will you pray for us? I'm going to tell you, Job's at a crossroad. Because Job, if he had been to Job a few chapters earlier, when his anger was boiling, he probably wouldn't have. But two chapters of God talking to him. In the early verses of chapter 42, Job, he got broken himself. And I'll tell you, when a man gets broken, he don't have a whole lot to say to people who have a lot to say to him. When a man gets broken, he don't have to be right in the conversation. He don't have to have even the last word. And the Bible said that Job prayed for those men. And then the Bible says God turned the captivity of Job. I'm going to tell you, when you get to a place in your life where you're not bitter at people who have mistreated you, you can only ride that crutch so long. And I know I'm preaching to some people right now. But when you get a place in your life where you stop being bitter at them and you start praying for them, you can have revival. But as long as you drink the poison of bitterness, 
And as long as you accuse them and you blame them, and they may be as guilty as sin, you'll go nowhere with God. Corey Ten Boom said she was speaking at a place. I don't know if it probably was a church, I would imagine. And she was giving her testimony of all the severe tortures and things that she had faced and she had went through during those dreadful days. And she said whenever the, whenever the service was over with, she said a gentleman walked up to her and she said as he got closer, she immediately recognized who he was. He was one of the leading officers that had raped her and tortured her. And she approached him. She said she felt the weakness in her knees. And all of a sudden, everything that had been, how she had been mistreated by this man and abused, it all came just running back to her. He walked up to her and he asked her to forgive him. He became a Christian and he got saved. And he asked her to forgive him for what he had done to her. And in that moment, Corey Ten Boom and just a breath of a prayer under her lips asked God for the grace to forgive a man that had mistreated her and tortured her. And she said, when she said the words, I forgive you, she said it was like liquid love ran through her soul. I want to tell you tonight, everybody in this building, including this preacher tonight, we have to come to the place in life. We are going to be mistreated. And we have mistreated others. We don't think near as much about our wrongs, but we cannot forget sometimes the wrongs that others have done to us. But if you can ever get over it and put it in the hands of God and pray, you say, how do I get over it? You start praying for those. who have, You know, I'll tell you something tonight. You can't talk about people that you pray for. You know how I know that tonight? Because I've tried it. You can't talk about people that you pray for. When somebody runs somebody down, mark it down. They're not praying for them. And when you pray for people, I'll be honest with you, the flesh start, starting out. These people, can I just tell you the, real, the reality tonight? These people I started praying for, I didn't want to pray for them. Because the things they said, the things they did, the lies that they told. Oh, I wanted to pray for them. Let me back up. I wanted to pray like David prayed, knock their teeth out, God. That's what he prayed in the Old Testament, but we're not living under the law. God, kill them. That's what he prayed. I'd like to pray some prayers. I've wanted to pray some prayers like that. I mean, when people lie on you and your family, I can take it. But when they go after your kids, I'm going to tell you, hey, something in me, Brother Laddie. They go after your wife. You see them mistreated. You think I want to pray and God let them have a good day? No. God let them one of the stars fall out of heaven and knock them in the back of the head. That's, I mean, I'm just telling you, I didn't pray it. Y'all don't look so sanctified. It's just a hypothetical, I think. <laughs> but I'll tell you why you need to pray for those that despitefully use you. It is for them, but it's for you tonight. So you can have some victory. Because after a while, those prayers of anger and those prayers that really don't matter, they become tears and brokenness. And you know what God does. He works grace in your heart.
And you, you know what? After a while, it don't even matter what they say about you. You'll start feeling sorry for the people that have missed. But if you criticize people, and if I criticize people, Lord, help me tonight. If I tell things I shouldn't tell about people's past, I'll never have no victory.